You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, I'm just going to do a very quick run-through and con- a bit of contextual stuff about what's just happened in this, in this passage, and then we'll get to the crux. So... Paul, so it's Paul, Silas, Mark, and possibly Luke, who were out in Philippi um, spreading the good news of Christ. Um, in, in this brief passage, there's so much that we can take out of it. For starters, they were given discernment um, over this young girl that immediately they could see that she, she had a demonic possession over her, over her life. Um, because they were walking in, in God's will, they were easily able to discern that this was the case. Um, I went, it's funny, actually, that they reckon, yes, yeah, so they recognised immediately that she had demonic presence, and her prophesying to, to the guys at the time was true because they were there to speak the word of God, but it was from a demonic place. Um, Paul and the others, they had a moral compass which was sharp and a wisdom and guidance that, that was God-given because their lives were given over and on fire for God. They were able to identi- not only identify this demonic presence but cast it out just like that because they had God's power within them. And it wasn't under the name of Muhammad or Allah or Buddha or Krishna or Ed Sheeran or John Lennon. It was the name of Jesus Christ which held that power. And then due to their faith, they were discriminated against. They were persecuted. They were beaten. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read like parts like this in the Bible and it says, oh, they were stripped of their clothing and beaten, it sort of goes in one ear and out the other. But if you think about it, they were in a public place, stripped of their clothing. Now, that's bad enough. Um, And then to be beaten with rods. Unjustly beaten. I don't know if you can justly be beaten, but this was most certainly unjustly beaten. So just bear that in mind when... Just, yeah, just bear that in mind when you're reading scripture. But just take, take it in. Don't read it as a story or, or a book of fiction. This is fact. This really happened. So maybe before you do read scripture or you have a quiet time, just pray that God will make this, make this real to you. Because it, it helps. Um, it, yeah, it really helps. So yes, they were discriminated against, they were beaten. When they were in prison, they weren't just in prison, they were probably in the inner dungeon, which would have had no windows, so no light, even during the day. There'd have been no sanitation. I doubt they were given anything to eat. Their legs were in stocks. They were probably still naked. They, I don't think there was a toilet there. So you can just imagine like the horrendous time they were having. However, what were they doing? They were singing, they were praising, they were praying, they were joyful. 
I don't think you could probably say they were happy, but they were, even in this time of adversity, they were joyful. Now, if you just take that away from today, to be joyful in a time of adversity, because they knew and they had the hope and assurance of this wasn't it. You know, there was something more. They had the assurance of Christ that there was something else. It wasn't, it wasn't going to end like this. Um, and even if, it, even if it did, they were, they were heaven-bound, so it's fine, isn't it? Um, then they were honest. They were honest when... You know, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but if I was in that situation and the door flung out, open, the stocks came off and their chains fell off, I'd be out there like a shot. But they were honest. You know, they, they could identify that through... Uh, through like these, these sort of things that happened in the past where the jailer had lost the prisoners and he was killed by... He would have been killed by Herod. No questions asked. You know, where... Well, there was maybe one question asked. <laughs> where are the prisoners? I don't know. Um, they've, they've gone. Well, you're dead. So Paul would have known that. Um... And he was honest. So, what, you know, what times in our lives are there situations where you think, oh, I can, I can probably get away with this, a bit of cash, cash in hand at work? It's uh, the only example I can think of. <laughs> you know, where, where are times in your lives where you have the opportunity to be honest, but to be a little bit deceitful, maybe, you, you feel that you could get on a bit further in life and you take that route? So as a result of all this, the jailer and his whole family received salvation. So the hope that these men had and the assurance that they had ended up in a whole family being saved. But what, the point that I really want to make out of this passage is Paul, Silas, Timothy... Luke, Mark, whoever else was there, they were out there. They were out there doing the will of God, fulfilling the Great Commission. They were out spreading the gospel through continental Europe. They were out, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were out in obedience with God's word and his command. And as a consequence of being out there, in faith, they delivered a girl from a demonic presence. But yes, they were thrown in prison. They were honest. They were joyful. And I would say, in almost its purest sense, they were evangelising through all of those situations, but in different ways. They were living a life that God had created them for. And that not so many years previous, Jesus had commanded them to do. Where it says in Matthew 28, at the, in the Great Commission, then Jesus said to, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. They've, they've pretty much done all of that just in this one story. Because of their obedience, the jailer and his family came to know Jesus. 
So yeah, so Paul, Silas, Timothy, Mark, Luke, they were all out doing their thing, fulfilling Jesus' commands. Now, they could have been at a men's breakfast, or at a carol service, or an event. But they were out where the people felt comfortable, where society felt comfortable in people's own environments, in their own routines, at their places of work, at their places of social activity. So many times, I just feel that we're trying to get people to come in. Now, I did the men's breakfast the other week. It was okay. Um, But I just figured to get a guy to come in on his own to something like that is quite, quite a thing to do. So with us trying to bring people in to our group, to our room, where it's comfortable for us, to our event, into an alien and unfamiliar setting, I don't know, does it, that doesn't sit right with me. Because we enjoy the comfort of these surroundings because we're used to them and familiar to them. And we enjoy having the backup of our Christian peers in these, these scenarios. But the non-believer is probably usually alone, nervous, uncomfortable, has given up their Saturday morning, which is no mean feat in itself. Possibly intimidated. Do we need a shift in the thinking for our evangelism? But how, how can we start? How can we start doing what um, Paul and Silas were doing? How can we start going out and, um, and spreading the gospel? Because I can stand here and tell you fact after fact, story after story. And you could probably go and like give it, give it a good go. But I think there's more to it. We come here to church, we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask to be filled with power. The power that in the Old Testament was confined to the Holy of Holies, that if you went anywhere near it, you would surely die. That, that same power, the same power that, that, that um, rose Christ from the dead, is within us. We are promised to have that power within us. Like that absolutely blows me away. It blows my mind. We need... When I say we, I'm talking to myself, okay, but I just hope you guys can bear with me and and if you feel... uh, Hopefully you feel the same. We need to get back to the knowledge that we have an almighty power within us that, as we were singing, we're no longer a slave. We are no longer fearful. We're not, we're not, what's it? We're no longer a slave to fear. We're a child of God. Thanks, Nick. But I feel to go out and, and to be passionate about something and to, or to go out and I don't want to say sell Christianity, but in effect, we're sort of doing that. 
to go out and do that, you need to be passionate about what you're talking about. I mean, you wouldn't have a car salesman, you go into a car showroom and they'd be like, well, you can have this one, yeah, this one's all right, it's only got three wheels, or you can have this one, yeah, it might get you down the end of the road. They're not like that, are they? You go into a car showroom, especially like the nicer cars, and even if you haven't got the money, you want to buy one, because they're so good at their job, they're so passionate, about, and they believe in what they're trying to sell. Now, I don't, I don't want to go down the route of, like, we're trying to be salesmen or stuff. I, I want to go down the route of us being passionate about what we believe in. So we can start by, like Jeff touched on it last week, we can start by enjoying Christianity. We can start by enjoying what we believe in. We can start by being joyful. And do you know what? One of the biggest things for me... One of the biggest things for me to be able to be joyful and grateful about having a relationship with God is just not forgetting what I've been saved from. Because my my conversion wasn't a big like, oh, I was a drug dealer and now, you know, someone prayed for me and I'm saved. Or it wasn't like, I, I was a football hooligan and now I'm not. Or it wasn't like, you know, I've been in prison. I wasn't, honestly. Or I've been in prison and, and, you know, someone came in and prayed for me. And it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It, but because it wasn't like that and because I was saved at a relatively young age, I don't have that definition of then and now. But every now and again, I get a glimpse in my own mind of how I would be without Christ and And I don't like it at all. So if you've had a familiar experience with your conversion and with your salvation, then just try and imagine what you'd be like without Christ. What hope you wouldn't have, what assurance you wouldn't have, what anxiety you would have, what depression you would have, what fear you would have. Never forget what you've been saved from But I want to see the supernatural. I want to see God's supernatural and experience his spirit. I want to enjoy my walk with God. I want want all the benefits of Christianity. But it's a relationship. And it's a relationship that we need to put in the time, the effort, the sacrifice. sacrifice. We need to um, submit and surrender and we can only do that by in prayer and in studying God's word and in looking to Jesus and being like, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. I just don't feel that we experience God how God wants us to experience him if we're going to be a, uh, a passive non-contributor to this two-way relationship. You know, if, if I turned around to Lise and had no interaction with her and just spoke to her every now and again but like in like a couple of sentences a week maybe, I wouldn't expect her to serve me every day or, or like bring my dinner in on a tray and 
you know, and attend to all my needs. Do you know what I mean? It's, relationships don't work like that. I talked to her. I, I praise her. I love her. It's a relationship. And in response, she does the same back to me. Now, God loves us at whatever, but it's a relationship. We give, God gives, we give, God gives. God gives, God gives, God gives. But we need to give, okay? And I feel like there might be someone here, or a, a group of people here, that have been away from God for so long. And you know, like, when you haven't seen a best friend for, like... I think guys are a lot like this as well. You don't see a friend for years and years, and then you meet up, and within seconds, it's like you've never been away. I feel like, I feel like God might want to say that to someone here, that it's literally not a phone call, but a prayer or a realisation that God is still there. And I think... Well, I know that God will respond to that. So we come to church, we ask to be blessed, we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, which in itself is, is awesome. And we say, look, we say, we stand there in worship and we say, Lord, fill me, fill me with your spirit. But sometimes I just feel we use, we use church like a bank, where we come and we withdraw money, like one week, and we go home and we stash it under the bed. And then we come the next week and we, yes, 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 money, 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 and we take it home and put it under the bed. And the third, and so on, and so on, and so on. And we're becoming rich and we're, be, we're com- potentially blessed and we're just taking it home and we're sticking that money under the bed. Now, what good's that money going to do? Who's that going to bless? It's not even blessing us because it's stuck under the bed. If anything, it's giving you a bad night's sleep. But that money has so much potential to bless you, to bless your family, to bless the wider community. So I, I, just, feel like, I just feel like God's trying to say, what are we going to do with these blessings, with these encounters, with being filled with the Spirit? Why is he, go- why is he going to put that on us? Right, I'm going to try, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try something. It might not work. And if it doesn't, it'll be just as funny as if it does work. So. <laughs> Still here. <laughs> Didn't know there was a lift there, did you? Alright. No, just in case. No, they're bad for teeth. Right, so... I sometimes feel like this bottle of water coming to church. And I say, I say, God, feel me. I say, God, bless me. Give me it. Give me half. Give me that. And God's saying, well, what are you going to do? 
that God wants us to be more like this. <laughs> so, God was saved. God, <laughs> God was saved. So I'll say, God, I want blessings. I want the Spirit. I want, I want the fruits. I want the gifts. And God said, well, what are you going to do with it? And I, and I said, well, I'm going to go out. And I'm gonna love my name. And God says, okay, well I'll give you all. I'll give you provision, I'll give you guidance, I'll give you wisdom. And you ask for more and more, and it comes out and it overflows. And yeah. <laughs> I know this is just a, a, a little example, but I just really feel like, as a church and as individuals, God wants us to be more like this lot of hope. And then He says, Yeah, I will bless you, but I'm not blessing you just for you. I'm not going to provide, give you provision just for you. He does it with, he does it with everything with finance, with time. I'll give you so you can do it. So when you feel a bit Oh, you know, what's God doing for me? I'm not enjoying Christianity. I'm not enjoying my walk, walk with God. When you're feeling like that, maybe we need to adjust our thought patterns of, God, I want to enjoy you because I want to go out and I want other people to enjoy you. And on my heart, it's been, we just need to take that little step of obedience. <laughs> watch, the, watch the car. Cheers, mate. Sorry, we need to take that big step of obedience and a step of faith and go out and I, I feel then God will supernaturally bless us. I know evangelism is hard. It's scary. We need prayer for it. We have fear of rejection. And evangelism, I, I feel now that evangelism isn't necessarily events. It's not stuff to bring people to. It's, it's how, you live your, how we live our lives. It's relational. It's, okay, yes, we can go to Africa and spread the good news. We can go to India and spread the good news. Can we do it with our neighbour? Can we do it with our family? Can we do it with our work colleagues? Can we even do it to the people in the church? It's a lifestyle. It's how we live our lives. How generous are we with our provisions? What we do with our time? And you know what? I think God will richly, richly, richly bless us. You know, Paul must have thought, God, what's going on? I'm stuck with my feet in shackles in my own filth. What is going on? Where's the bigger picture? We may talk to someone in the pub or at work and they may 
reject us and we think, God, what's going on? There's a bigger picture. We've just read, there's a bigger picture. Some, there, there will be some sort of fruit coming out of this, even if it's just building yourself up to go and do it again and again and again. But you might say, well, I don't know what to say. God will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. But what if I get something wrong? Well, is that just pride speaking? Is that just your ego? Is that just, well, I don't want to look silly. What if they're more intelligent? It's okay to say, I don't know. And if you don't know, go and research it. Go and study the Bible. Go and look at commentaries online. The best thing is, it's not our job to save. But it is our job to preach and to witness and to live the life that we were put on this earth to do. God will do the rest. Now what hope and assurance is that? Many times I've tried to share, to share the gospel with people and it's just, it just feels like... I just feel like so inadequate to do so and just not intelligent enough. But it's not about me. It's not about us. In John 6, it says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. In Luke 12, it says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Salvation doesn't rest on eloquent speech or man's wisdom, but the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Thank God for that. And I think because we're brought up in, the, in Western culture, in a consumerist society, we are told that if you want something, go and get it, and you go and get it now, and it can be yours. Now, I, don't, you know, I sometimes feel like that with God, and I'll pray for a friend. Or like, for, for example, at the men's breakfast, because I led the week before and said, right, think of a guy, pray for him, that he may come to the men's breakfast, that he will receive salvation, blah, blah, blah. And we may have done like a little arrow prayer. We may have done like, oh yeah, I pray that so-and-so comes, which God listens to. But I think sometimes God wants more than that. I think sometimes God wants our petition and our heart and a sacrifice, like a prayerful sacrifice. Um, Because God doesn't live by consumerist Western culture rules. Our expectations of the world shouldn't be our expectations of God. Guys, I just really, I just really want you to enjoy your your walk with God. Not enjoy it as in like, oh, like. Not that sort of enjoy. But I want, I, I want God to touch your lives in such a way that you cannot stop overflowing. I want you to be looking upwards and saying, God, fill me with love. Not because I want to feel love, but because I want to pour out love. Yeah. 
Because that will make your, you evangelising so much easier and so much more real and worthwhile. Yes, uh, who, someone had a picture, didn't they, of, um, of like, was it a ball with a crust around it and the crust is starting to fall off, like quite a while ago. Was it you, Jenny? Or Barb or someone? And, like, my prayer is that, that crust falls off and everything in it overflows and outpours. Because as a church, I feel we... I just feel that this, like God wants so much more for us. And at the moment, we're just trying to contain him in this little building. And Jeff, I mean, you've touched on it the last few weeks. Yeah, let's be full of love and let's, just so that we can go out and love. We've got a... Um, We've got a pretend bird of prey at home. It's like about this big, and it's to scare the birds off because they keep annoying us. Um, and it's on like a six-metre pole, and it's got a bit of, like, it's like a kite, really, and it's got a bit of string tied to it. And I, look, I looked at it this morning. I sat in the office looking up at it. And his name's Horace. Horace the hawk. It's a girl. Is it? How can you tell? Oh, it's a girl called Horace. It's with the times. Um, and I looked at him and I was like oh I feel really bad for you like you're so majestic I know it's not real but it could be real and he's there like fluttering a bit like so, so the wind blows this way and it's like and then the wind blows this way and it's I just feel really bad for it that it's just tethered by this string but it's just it's just amazing how God works because I was looking up at it and not thinking, oh, what should I say today? And I looked at it and thought, I just sometimes feel like that. And I think some of us here do, that we're tethered by a string. And that string may be repetitive sin. It may be fear. It may be doubt. I just want to pray for you guys now that that string is cut by the love of Christ so that we can go out and fulfil how and what we should be like so Horace can go and fly with the birds let's pray